Welcome to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with innovators, challenging the status quo to create a better world. You're listening to Season 1, our series on space as a service. I'm your host, Caleb Parker. That's at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And this season, I'll be chatting with executives creating the future of commercial real estate. If you're a landlord, if you're an asset owner, if you're an agent, if you're in corporate real estate, you need to be listening because we're answering all the questions you need to know about space as a service. Welcome back to Hashtag Work Bold Podcasts. This is Caleb Parker, and today I'm here with Mark Tyson, who's the Head of Service Delivery at Legal and General Investment Management. That's LNG that everybody knows, and Mark's responsible for all property and facilities management operations across their massive portfolio, 400 properties in the UK, following an 18-month transformation program to implement a new occupier-focused operating model, of which we're going to hear about in a moment. Previously, Mark held leadership roles at Mighty and Capital Real Estate with a focus on property management, facilities management, and sustainability services. During this period, he also developed a number of smart building propositions, which incorporate well-being, asset, and energy data to support better decision-making in the built environment. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously, LNG has a massive portfolio across the UK, 400 locations, 400 buildings. With the growth of space as a service and flex year-on-year globally, what are you seeing from your clients, from your customers? I think it's been a a period of massive change. I mean, within that 400 properties, there's probably what I would call about 180 highly operational assets. So multi-let service, shopping centers, offices, industrial estates, retail parks. So it's still still quite a, a large portfolio, lots of occupiers, lots of different needs, lots of challenges, obviously, with retail. Industrial is booming. So that's an interesting story in terms of how that just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And then offices is a natural one to go to because there's been so much change. Yes. With, um, with the advent of, well, it's not even the advent, is it? It's the it's the real proliferation of service office providers, the sheer weight of choice now in the market, the fact that occupiers want more. And I think my starting point in all this has always been that this is a failure of landlords. So as a sector, not LNG, but as a sector in terms of not spotting the opportunity to become more flexible, perhaps being a little bit too conscious of the lease and the legal side of the process rather than the occupier experience and what people actually want. Mm. And I think some things like WeWork have been transformative in terms of changing the way that we think about occupiers and how they're using the space. And there's a long way to go in all of this. But I think from our perspective, we had to change our model to be much more occupier focused, much deeper relationships, understanding what people want, being, being agile to be able to deliver that with the feeling there that the competition is around us everywhere. In all the cities in the UK that we operate, certainly from an office's point of view, from a shopping center's point of view, if we're not innovating in that space, somebody else will be offering this in the next sort of five, five to 10 years. So that's a real call to action for us. And definitely, uh, you're right about that. You talk about WeWork, and I wondered how long it was going to take us to, to mention that we're on this podcast in less than five minutes. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's come record, up. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, one thing about WeWork is they've certainly let the, woke the industry up to mm-hmm. the demand. And uh, you know, that, that's a genie that's not going back into the bottle anytime mm-hmm. soon. Um, you talk about this new operating model that you have. Yep. Is it called, it's called Mercury, I believe. Mercury model, yeah. Can you talk about that? So that is a number of different things all coming together as part of a wider sort of strategy review. But the essence of it for me was around three things, the Mercury model. One is proximity. So how do we get closer to our assets? How do we get closer to our occupiers? How do we understand how our buildings are performing? The second one then is using data to drive decisions. So measure what's important. So you're using some actually Lean Six Sigma theory about improvement, understanding lead measures versus lag. So rather than waiting till the end of the quarter to see how things are performing when everything's already changed and you're actually not making a decision, you're just reviewing the data to a load of lead measures which enable our teams and there's loads of them around the UK to make better and more informed decisions on a 
day, week, monthly basis. And then the third element is continuous feedback. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of- is, Sorry, is that yeah. feedback from, from your customers or feedback from management? Everywhere, everywhere. And I, and I think that's the, the key thing for me here is we've opened ourselves up and said, we want to improve, but everyone's got to tell us how to improve. So that could be a cleaner, that could be an engineer, that could be an occupier, not the person that signed the lease, but just a, a person that works in the space. That can be an energy consultant, that could be an investor. We want true 360 feedback in our buildings and we're putting mechanisms in place. We're using things like QR codes. We're doing more engagement and event type uh, events where we can actually hear from people. So some like focus group type activities to really understand what's driving occupiers in the individual space. And I think probably the key thing to say about the Mercury model is moving from a one size fits all management approach, which is lots of national providers of service, national managing agent relationships, everything in one box to what's the right thing for that asset. So every asset, especially within, within offices and the large shopping centers, industrial estates, they've got their own story, their own brand. And that needs to be reflected in terms of how we're marketing the asset and then how we're operating it. So that's where I think we need to get better as an industry. We need to stop talking about square foot and stop talking about service charge per square foot and start thinking about what that actually means. So for your business to be successful in this space, whatever it is, how, how do we deliver that for you? And then be on account as a landlord to deliver that so that as we go through the period of the lease, how long that might be, by the time you're getting to renewals or breaks, there's a, a deep relationship between the parties and a clear understanding of whether or not they've been successful in that space. And I think that is transformative around the Mercury model, being really engaged. We've retrained all of our asset managers to think about how they influence that process before we even started looking at different partners into our model. And I think the key thing for me around that is being much more transparent, much more open, being accepting of where we maybe not done so well in the past and rebuilding things uh, and relationships with, with occupiers. So that's the theory and the strategy around the Mercury model. What that actually means in reality is we've split the role of a property manager into two. So we've said a property manager in our model for Mercury model now is around lease management, finance, asset management strategy. So delivering the business plan. And the, uh, we've introduced an FM integrator to provide a service delivery platform. So that's supply chain management skills, that's data, CAFM systems, things that you would expect in an FM industry as an equal partner to the property management team. So the managing agents are there. The FM integrator is there as part of this tripartite relationships where everyone's as important as each other. And driving that data between those parties is the challenge that my team's now got to make that a truly transparent and open relationship, which is the hard part of the Mercury model. Everything is transparent. There's data everywhere. There's lots of people highly enthusiastic now that we've got it live. And it's in about 140 properties in the UK now. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to try to unpack some of that yeah. with you for, for a moment here. You said data quite a few times. Yeah. You also talked about the success of the company and making yeah. sure you have that relationship so that company is successful at the end. Yeah. Uh, what sort of data are you measuring to understand if that company is successful? So I think there's two parts to this for me. One is nobody's going to have a strategic conversation with you about your business if you can't run the basics. You can't keep the toilets operating, you can't keep the lifts running, you can't keep the place safe and compliant. So I think as a starting point, we need to get really good at the basics. And that's stage one of our plan get our buildings running well, get our occupiers to agree they're running well. And that's where we're using Net Promoter Score as a tool. And we're asking a unified questions, both at a strategic level and on a day-to-day level, would you recommend this as a place to work? Which I think is quite exciting because it's suddenly making us more consumer-based. Loads of consumer businesses would use a Net Promoter Score. I think in our space, it's quite an open and transparent way of trying to make something quite complex, quite simple. I mm. Do you like working here? So that's stage one. Stage two is then working with the occupiers to say, well, why have you got this space? And in most of our office environments, the starting offices, because that's the easiest place to have that conversation, they're putting people in a space to use their brains. So be that a call center, a doctor surgery, a brokerage, a 
a trading floor, whatever it might be, wherever in the UK, it's about driving that value from the brains they're employing. However, as it's not just an energy issue, this is, I think, an industry issue. I've said this for years. We manage buildings in a one size fits all way. It's all around SFG 20 for maintenance point of view. It's about SIBSI for life cycle. It's about 21 degrees for temperature. We've never been brave enough to break that down and unpack that and say, right, okay, well, what is the right conditions for this type of business? So like in a call center, do you need higher levels of oxygen potentially in the air to keep people awake, keep people focused? What's the level of light that drives better conversations in a law firm? Right, that, that's the level of granularity I think we need to get in. And the exciting thing is once you've done that piece of work, jointly with the occupant, we've done this a few times now, you have a really proper conversation at a strategic level because suddenly you're talking their language and you're showing the metrics around, okay, so this is what the industry now thinks is a good level of light for the type of work you're doing. This is a good level of air quality, this is a good level of temperature. Let's measure that together. And I think the challenging thing there is where you've got occupiers in existing buildings is that sometimes the fit out, maybe we've been too lax in terms of, of not saying how we might think that would benefit them and how the building will run based on their foot out. But now we're saying, well, actually, let's work on that together. So over the next two or three years, are there things you need to do your side of the fence? Is there plant and equipment we need to upgrade enable you to get the best out of that experience? And then use these unified metrics around air quality, around light, around noise, which everybody can understand as whether or not you're being successful. And just the final point on that is I spent a long time trying to think about productivity from a two or three percentage percent gain. What I've realized, certainly in UK real estate, is a lot of our buildings are probably operating about 70%. Seven zero. Seven zero of what they could do from a health perspective. So we've got a lot of buildings with poor ventilation. We've got a lot of buildings where the heating, I mean, too hot, too cold is, is a real thing, obviously. But we've never been brave enough to really tackle that and re-educate the users of the space by saying, actually, you may be more comfortable in this part of the office by the type of work you're doing, or you may need to be dressing in a different way, or actually there may be a bigger issue with this individual rather than actually the space. And I think we've never bridged that gap between the people occupying the space and the people providing the, the services, if you like. So this, this, we think, is a unifying way of saying, right, we're in this together. Let's talk about the fit out together. So we're doing this a lot with people on the way in now. Let's talk about the fit out together. And we're using partners to add that expertise and a bit of neutrality as well, because obviously you need people in the middle there to make a, a difficult decision sometimes in terms of how many people you put in the space, for example. Mm -hmm. So that moves you away from the square footage piece I was talking about earlier on, allows you to have an honest, open conversation about how they're going to use the space. And then if they, even if they're a small tenant in a large building, suddenly they've got more influence with us in terms of how the whole building runs. So what's the upgrade plan for the plant and equipment in the building? What's the level of fresh air running through the whole building? So even if you're a small or a large occupier, you should be comfortable when you go into an energy building of getting the same level of outcome based on having that conversation of understanding why, how you're going to use that space and then monitoring it together over the life of that lease. And this is all part of the, what you call the Mercury, yeah. the Mercury model. Yeah. And so it sounds like to me, as an asset owner, yeah. you guys are very active in managing in the facilities yeah. of, of, the, yeah. of the buildings that, you're, that you yeah. own. Those buildings then, and I, I think it's important to capture that data and to make sure you're having that conversation yeah. uh, with the people in the building. To me, that's half of what we need because to know whether you know, the toilets are running properly, the air is the right temperature or quality of the, yeah. of the oxygen is there. I don't want to dumb it down or whatever, but it sounds like those are obvious things. Yeah, but as an industry, we haven't been good enough for that. Yeah, for a long, long time. And I think, but then, but, but then, but then, how do you how do you connect that and the data that you have from that yeah. and the conversations you're yeah. having to actually successful and productive people in the building? So that's where you use the science. Because 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 yeah. if you go back to what yeah. Anthony Slumbers yeah. keeps saying that you know people don't want an office anymore; they want a productive workforce. Yeah. So where does that science fit in? So the science fits in in how are you going to use this space? So again, I have seen time and time again over the last five years pre-LNG days, finance directors, boards, cramming people into space because it looks better from a, a person per square footage space. 
rather than looking at that in the round in terms of the overall cost of employment, if you like. So what are the implications of putting too many people into a space in terms of performance? Now, as I said before, I've stopped thinking of it as productivity gain and started thinking of it more as giving it a space for people to be successful. So we can't make a productivity gain for an organization. But what we can do is we can say, look, we're giving you, it's like sport. We're giving you every chance to be successful. So this space is performing, as we've all agreed, in line with external science-based measures around how we want it to perform. Yeah. So there's those stats and that data where you've got the science around it saying, if you have this level of air quality, if you have this level of light, if you have this level of noise, you're giving people the chance to be productive. Yeah. And actually, I think naturally what that lends to, and people who listen to this might think, well, that's what we want because we want to sell more space. Generally, it does lend to a, well, have we got people in the right place on the floor plate? Do we need more space? Do we need different types of space? So I remember with one occupier, we were looking at their floor plan and actually moving their post room away from probably the best piece of light on the floor creates a lot of value for a different team that's doing a different type of work. And that post room had to be relocated somewhere else in a part of the building we weren't actually using. So we were able to give that to someone for minimal rent. So it's not always about more rent. It's about we want you to move in and have a good experience. And if that means some tough conversations up front about What's the space? What's the m and in the building? What are we going to measure? So it goes back to my point about measure. And we agree what success looks like together. So is that providing a productive environment 99.8% of the time? Yes, it probably yeah. is. And then working out who's responsible for what. And I think that's where the smart building industry bit has, has got quite tricky over the years is that it becomes, right, well, we're doing everything we can do from a central plant point of view, but you as an occupier still haven't moved that wall or you haven't got your plant plant, you're responsible to work properly. And I think that's okay because I think, in any normal relationship, you're going to have areas where you can't influence. But I think as long as it's transparent and someone's saying, right, okay, that's what we think the problem is. If you don't want to fix it, then you've got to recognize that we can't provide that productive space, but we're willing to do that. And sort of fast forwarding that a bit, our belief, if you like, is that if we're doing that and then you're looking to move and you've got three or four buildings of comparable size, say in London or Manchester, and we can provide that service wrap and that data at board level, which says we are providing productive enabled workspaces, however you want to phrase it, how would you move? Well, it positions you as the as the asset owner yeah. and as the manager of that asset. It positions you as as caring about yeah, but people you in can't, the building. How would you take people back away? So if you've suddenly said, because it's about transparency, if you were sending all these people in an office environment, we're now providing these conditions, but we're going to move to a building down the road, which is one pound a square foot cheaper, but we haven't got any of that. Oh, right. You yeah. wouldn't take people back, no. would you? So it should force the industry to come up and say, right, well, that's now a battleground because if all else being equal, service charge, square footage rates, the service will be the differentiator. And it won't just be, as you said, the basics that differentiates because people should expect that to be there. It will be, how are you actually driving that building to deliver an outcome for me as a business that I can understand at CEO level? So in our episode with Dan Hughes uh, from Liquid Real Estate, he talks about in the future, how we talk about smart buildings, how we'll be able to have access to data. We'll be able to measure the moods of the people going in and out of the building, whether they're happy or not. And he thinks that buildings with happier people will be worth more. So is that what you're doing in the measuring of the facilities? Can you connect that to the happier moods? Is that all part of the feedback loop to that occupier? So again, my view on this one would be a number of different things. I'm not a big fan of the phrase happy. Okay. Because I don't think- Are you happy? I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very happy. But I think that in work context, (laughs) Mm. happy- is in the eye of the beholder. You can have a whole load of different things going on in your mental health and in, in your home life sure. that is, is nothing to do with that work environment. So happy, I think, is a, is a challenging one. Again, I think giving people the opportunity to be healthy, because obviously you spend 89% of your time in a building, be it at home or be it at work. 
So you, you want to be in a healthy environment and then you want to be in a space that's actually enabling you to be productive. So that links that one back in. And then from that, it's how do we see value? So the obvious one there is that if people stay in buildings longer, then you've got less void periods. So that actually has a direct impact in terms of valuation. I think the net promoter score piece is quite interesting to me to see. And we haven't tested this yet. Well, we need some better data. We probably need 12 months on this. But the indicator would be if you've got a happy day-to-day client, so somebody like, an, I don't know, an FM in an occupying organization that believes the building's running well, and then you've got a strategic occupier that believes they get value from the health and well-being plan to the productivity and understanding how it's contributing to their business, or in a shopping center, the foot, we're driving footfall and we're driving um, sales for them. So they, in, in clear language, they can understand a broad level. That should give us good net promoter scores, which then should be, give us a degree of confidence about whether or not people are going to stay. Because obviously you've got loads of break points in leases and things like that. So from our point of view in the valuation process, trying to work out, are we giving ourselves a higher percentage chance of that person staying? And then do we get into a conversation about premium rent? So actually, if we know your business is performing in that space, are we able to justify a premium rent? Because actually nobody else in that local area can provide what we want, either access to a certain channel or the space of a certain quality. And that's the interesting bit from a valuation point of view. Um, But we haven't proved that yet. The other thing I'd throw on the table there is um, sustainability. So you can't do this stuff in, in isolation. We've got science-based targets, which we're rolling out in our business this year. And that will give us some tough decisions because ultimately increasing the ventilation rates of buildings to give better air quality could have a detrimental impact in terms of utilities consumption. So we're going to be in a situation here. We're going to make some tough decisions. And I think the investment community wants to see that we're in control, number one, and we're making decisions that are both in the long-term benefit of, of planet now of the people in the space from a health perspective. And then thirdly, the valuation should then naturally tick up because not everyone's going to be able to keep pace for that. So you're going to see a market which is desperately trying to grapple with lots of different things going on at the same time. Happy occupiers, if you want to call it that, sustainability challenges, service expectations, shorter leases, and not everybody's going to be able to respond. So therefore, you're going to see stranded assets. So a bit like we've seen over the last few years with shopping centres, it's very difficult to exit a shopping centers because of the brand around retail which actually at LNG we don't we're quite optimistic around retail but i think for me it's more looking at how you do things to protect your investment and stop it from becoming stranded rather than necessarily seeing a tick up in valuation how do we stop a decrease in valuation okay. over time so mark we talked a lot about service and how you see spaces of service within lng and with how you guys are responding to that uh, providing the data and having those conversations with your occupiers. But now we'll talk about flexibility. There's no doubt flex space is a big part of space as a service. How are you approaching flex now? So a number of things, but the real driving force, which has been pretty successful for us is capsule. So we have about 22 capsule suites across the UK. Now Cap- capsule, capsule. Is, is that what you're calling That's the, the brand? brand. That's, That's the, the brand. brand. Okay. Um, and, and effectively what that is, is pre-fitted space within buildings of suites of somewhere between four and 6,000 square foot. Okay. So you've got the IT connected, you've got the desk there, you've got the meeting rooms all pre-configured, you've got everything set up so you can just walk in, plug and play with your IT sure. theory and go. Yep. So that's put a number of challenges on us because that needs a shorter lease timescale in terms of getting from the point of interest to moving in and also around some of our traditional moving in license towards processes, which is actually minimized by the fact that they're pre-fitted, but people sometimes tweak and change things. But the whole point of this was to make our buildings accessible and targeting what I would say are, I mean, so in that sort of floor plate, you're looking at people that are looking to 40 or 50 desks. Mm-hmm. 
and built on the conversations we had in the market of what's different to the service office environment. Well, I want to yeah, touch yeah, on yeah. that. What is different? Because you've got British Land, they yeah. launched Story, which yeah. sounds like to me a similar yeah. product. Um, there's Notel out yeah. there who's yeah. specializing in this sort of yeah. space. Uh, what is different for Capsule? I think it's about making our properties accessible, right? So in my view, and I haven't traveled around the country to quite a few of our Capsule space now and talked to people in the space. I'm really interested to see why they chose it. And, and part of it is brand. It's really interesting that people said that I, we saw this as part of our growth story of coming out of a service office space or an industrial unit into a serviced office environment to, to start getting some of the benefits that a big operation brings and the long-standing landlord or fund manager like Energy gives some security. Privacy of space was quite interesting. Some control over their environment, so how they brand the space, how they use the space was the feedback I was getting. And that was what we were playing for, really, was how do you get people that are maybe a growing business that are coming out of that service environment and they want to have some flexibility? So we thought they might want two, three-year-long leases. Actually, our average is about five, mm. which is quite interesting for us because people said, well, once we've invested in a space, we don't want to be worried about losing it. So getting a plug-and-play space for five years. Yeah. Can you talk about the profile of these customers and what I understand of what Notel is going after? Yeah. There's a lot of one to three-year terms with these companies because they're fast-growing. They might go in at 30 workstations and they're at 150 in 18 exactly. months. Yeah. So we're, that- we're seeing that as well. I mean, I, I don't think we're targeting at the moment. I think what we've found is we've, we've spun something up and it's been successful and a, and a useful tool for our existing sort of letting agent story. But the pace of letting has been quite surprising. And it's all different use cases. Big businesses looking for more agile space as they're growing for projects within an existence. So we've got a couple of occupiers that have taken a capsule suite alongside a traditional lease. Okay. And are they taking those capsule suites for five years alongside? No, no, no. So, so, so that would be a shorter term. And that's okay. where the whole flex bit comes in. So a lot of our office portfolio is predicated on long-term corporate type leases, mm. obviously. So those organizations are coming to us and saying, well, actually... Can we have some additional space, but not locked in for our 15, 20 years? We want it for two years or three years, or or can we give you notice on that? And that's the bit I don't think we've fully worked through yet because it's still quite new for us. This is launched 12 months ago and the suites have been worked up and people are moving in and we're getting the feedback and we're thinking about what the next stage is. But I think ultimately the idea is flexibility. So if we've got a pre-fitted space in a building, you've got a large occupier that wants to upscale or downscale, we've got the choice. That's, for me, the, the point. Okay. And then for smaller, for SME-type environments, the growth plan. So yeah. really attractive to us. Are you 20 desks in a shared office space or a service office space that's one of come 150 in three years' time? Through our portfolio, not just necessarily that asset, we should be able to support that as they go up through their cycle. So then uh, that's an interesting point. Mm. We talked about this, the plug-and-play suites mm. for the, the five years, but then you, you just mentioned the you know, sort of a shared office environment, serviced office environment. Are you rolling out through Capsule serviced office co-working up are you competing with WeWorks of the world no so we've got them in buildings where there's both so we'll have a traditional player that does the co-working space and they're going to do that better okay. than, than us certainly in the, in the near term as our view because there's a brand around there's some excitement they're, they're driving their own and i think a lot of what we're trying to do here is brand it's a bit of a segue to what you're saying there but if, if these assets have got a brand they'll attract a certain sort of co-working or service office provider yep who've all, often all got their own brands as well so trying to make it clear to the market what sort of building this is, where it fits in terms of the market, in terms of service level. And trying to find the right operator brand to fit in with that. Exactly. Okay. So we're totally open to that. I think with Capsule, we're going to be demand-led. So if someone moves in and says, and I'm fully expecting this, actually a few of the guys I spoke to as I've traveled around the country is, we're an SME. We don't necessarily have the infrastructure of a big corporate. Can you provide more services it's like concierge services or could you do our maintenance for the space? And actually for us, that's a real opportunity because we've got in these big buildings, these big service charge multi-let assets, we've got the opportunity to, to provide that service off our existing backbone. So that's, again, part of the Mercury model. We're saying, right, how do we deliver that service? 
And then where we want to partner to create a specific brand around co-working and a building, we'll do that. So it's ultimate flexibility. That's fantastic. And I think this is one of the things that I want to get out for people is when you guys are looking at rolling out this model across your portfolio, I'm curious to understand some of the questions that you're asking internally about, you know, when you're trying to find the right operator brand for that asset, Mm -hmm. how are you doing the partnerships? Are they straight leases? Are you doing a revenue sharing model or management agreements or is it all of the board? Big mixture. So you got to remember within the LNG environment, there's a lot of different funds with different business plans, different things they're allowed to do. We've got a huge alternative piece that's grown across our platform, and that is getting us to engage more operators. So we're comfortable with joint ventures, profit shares. It really does depend on exactly what you're trying to do with that asset, which is going back to my point earlier. We can't have a one-size-fits-all anymore. Every asset's got its own story, and it's got to add value to that asset because that's the game really is the valuation and the cash generation from the rental income. So... We're pushing our asset managers to be more innovative, to really think about how the story of, and the type of occupiers they want in the space and how that all knits together. We've got some cracking stories off the back of Capture already in places like Aberdeen and Reading, where we've got five or six Capture suites and a real SME community building in a building. So that changes the way you would service that. When you talk about community, because that's another yeah. buzzword in the industry right now, are you employing someone in the asset, in the building to facilitate that community? Well, the interesting thing is they're normally already there. So within these big corporate-based offices, you've got a large service charge with a big security team. And what we've looked at is, well, could we do something better with that money in terms of moving it to more of a front-of-house model? Do we need to invest as the landlord to provide a service outside of the service charge to this SME community? And a big part of our story going forward is going to be this community piece, social value, which people may have heard LNG talking about. And what that means to us now is that, so take Aberdeen, for example, who are the right people in the supply chain to offer that service? Who in that building are we trying to offer service to? So take that, the capsule suites where we've got five or six, we've got SME businesses growing every day in that space. What do they need? So we're going to consult with them quite closely, potentially put some local businesses from the supply chain into that, and then look to build our links with the council around innovation and driving SMEs who are trying to grow. So effectively, you're you're placemaking within the asset. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Fantastic. And I think that helps companies that are coming into your, your asset. It helps them attract the right talent. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I've got one final question before we go into our little quick fire round that I like to do. And this is just following off from this last piece that we just talked about. In your view, do you have an opinion on what the right makeup? Is there a preferred makeup of an asset that X percent is co-working serviced office, X percent is amenity space, X percent is your plug and play capsule suites, and then the other X percent is lease hold space? Do you have a, a view on that? I think the answer to that is risk mitigation. So obviously... Having a mixture of the different types of leases, the different types of providers will, at some point from a fund management level, become riskier. So if you've got 50% of the building at co-working space with five different office providers, it probably doesn't necessarily make sense at the moment. I don't know how the market's going to evolve. So I think from our point of view, it's about stepping stones. So how do we make our buildings more agile? Because at the moment, some of them could be quite corporate. So they need to start building a flex operator in or doing some capsule spaces, which we're doing to change the mix of occupiers in the space. Uh, and my hope on that is that that community piece starts driving the larger occupiers to say, actually, this is quite a funky, good space to be in, a much more flexible space than it was three or four years ago. And we've had some of that feedback already. And then we'll find out what the mix is. Because ultimately, from a fund manager point of view, from a pension point of view, we need to make sure that we're not exposing an asset to undue risk when there's other occupiers that could have taken the space and used it in a different way on a long-term basis. I think that's the bit, as an industry, we don't know yet. Mm. It's challenging for the valuers at the moment to work out how you do deal with a co-working um, office space, which is on a profit share basis. So how does that affect the model? So I don't think the industry has solved all these problems. I don't think energy has solved all these problems, but I think the really exciting thing is we're having some amazing conversations around it. 
So you've got fund managers, asset managers in our business, really excited about service, really excited about sustainability, really excited about social value, but also understanding that get that right, you'll have a good investment. And I think that's the that's the key bit for me. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's it's refreshing to me to see the conversations changing around the valuation, and and I I do think that we'll have an asset class for wrapping in under space as a service, but we'll have an asset class to accommodate these profit sharing yeah. JVs, the flexibility that goes involved in that. Well, I, I know there's a conversation being had about whether buildings that have more flex space as a service in the building will they be more valuable in the future because of the demand requirements for that. Who knows? But uh, I know where I place my bet. <laughs> but that's that's where the sum of its parts thing will come in. So if you've got really, let's use that word again, happy occupiers or, or, or satisfied occupiers because of the tang- the intangible stuff as well, the community, the fact that people love going there to work, they feel like they're getting a lot of benefit from it. It's built in the community, so they feel like they're giving something back. It goes back to my point, why would you leave? And that's your knock-on to valuation. So as soon as people are staying in assets, paying premium rent, that's the valuation story we're looking for. So it will be a mixture of all these things, but it's really bringing these assets to life and the personality. Yep, or a brand. And the brand, yep. absolutely. So that, that experience and the personality creates the brand and the brand experience is what drives the value in, in yeah. my view. All right, so a couple of quick fire. These, are, these yeah. are more fun questions, short answers type of thing. Who in commercial real estate inspires you? So there's a lady that I've got so much time for, a lady called Alex Notte, who's at Places for People, who's doing a lot of stuff around built to rent, very vocal around how the industry needs to change, very inclusive around different skill sets in the, in the industry and trying new things. Okay. And her company's called? Places for People. Places for People. Okay. All right. So Mark, what drives your passion in commercial real estate in the industry right now? I think it's an incredibly exciting period where we can make real change. And I've always been excited by hotels and customer service focus within that. And we're now starting to see that come through into an industry that's got the resources and the need to do it. And then the people. I mean, I personally, I like mentoring people, trying to help people find those roles, which they probably didn't know existed trying to bring people from what are quite silos industry, doing some work with Ricks around how we get traditional property management training, traditional FM um, background training, traditional valuation training, to start mixing with other fields, much more data-based um, general management skill sets to try and bring these things to life. Because I think the exciting thing for me in the next few things in real estate is the innovation and making these things happen. And it can't just be an idea in a boardroom. It's got to be executed really well at site. Absolutely. So it's a people story in the next five years. Sounds like you're recruiting. We are. <laughs> we are. We're looking for great people to join our partners. Okay. So within the Mercury model, we are putting our mast out there to say, if you think you're a really brilliant property manager, if you think you're a really brilliant um, facilities manager, uh, we've created this role called a service delivery manager. Come and prove it because we'll give you a portfolio. We'll give you real responsibility. We'll give you access to asset managers and fund managers. And if you can do that, then you will, your career should bounce straight from that. So where can people go to, to apply or to learn more? Contact me. Right, so you're on Twitter? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, at MarkTyson28 and LinkedIn. Okay. Um, just drop me an always happy to have a conversation with people and I can put you in the right direction based on what, what your interest is. Well, there you go. So not only do we share best practices, we are now recruiting people for, for the industry on the podcast. One final question. Do you travel much? Uh, for holiday? For holiday. Not work, yeah. holiday. Yeah, yeah, work, work. Quite UK. Holiday, yeah, a bit more further afield. Yeah, where's your favourite holiday destination? Somewhere like the Balearic Islands or Portugal Beach. Right. Some nice seafood Somewhere with restaurants. Sun. Some sun. Yeah. yeah. You like seafood? Yeah. I've got, I've got two little boys, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and they just love being outside in the swimming pools and all that sort of stuff. So it's just a very fun. When's your next trip? So uh, going to Fuerteventura in April. Excellent. Which would be nice. Easter, Easter holiday. holiday. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, fair yeah. enough, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mark, thank, thank you so much for coming in and joining yeah, thank us. You. Really appreciate you sharing. Uh, it's exciting what you guys are doing and 
certainly looking forward to, to seeing the results. Thank you. Thank you all for joining today. And uh, until next time, uh, take care of yourself. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode and every episode you listen to. And if you do, I'd love for you to share it with that one person who you think needs to hear this message. You can always find our podcast on our website at workbold.co and click on podcast or any podcast app that you use. Just search hashtag workbold. It'd mean a lot to me if you leave a five-star review and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Finally, please do connect with me on social media. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker on Twitter and Instagram or just search LinkedIn. Send me your questions, what you want to hear next, comment on my accent or challenge what we've talked about. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, fortune favors the bold. You're listening to a podcast company podcast. This was made by Podcast Syndicator, where we help you go from start to grow to making money with your podcast. Let us help you share your message and your voice with the world. Reach out now, Jason at podcastsyndicator.com or Brett at podcastsyndicator.com to find out more. Thank you for listening and do come back to hear nothing but the best podcasts.